First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 660 of First Class Fatherhood, a family-made media podcast. And joining me on the show today is Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller is the dad of the Miller fam. They are a popular family on YouTube. Stephen and his wife, Amanda, have seven kids together. They have almost a million subscribers on their YouTube channel where they share their life as a family of nine. Uh, They pride themselves on having no fake drama, no clickbait, no gossip, uh, no tearing each other down. It's definitely a welcome relief from so many other reality-type shows that we see on TV. And I think that's really the beauty of social media, YouTube, stuff like that. We get a chance... You get a chance for authentic families to share their journey and help so many other people uh, just by seeing how they run their operation of raising seven kids, uh, some of whom were adopted. Their one son had a rare brain disease, so they definitely have had their ups and downs. They're a good, wholesome family. I love what they're all about. Stephen and his wife, Amanda, do a podcast on the Family Made Media Network, which is called What's Up, Beautiful People. Stephen's also got a new book out, The Art of Getting It Wrong. He's going to talk to me today all about his fatherhood journey of raising seven kids, uh, the adoption process, living a public lifestyle, and so much more. I'm honored to have him on the podcast today. Stephen Miller will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Stephen Miller was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation between the dad of seven and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. And if you're a dad that enjoys the UFC, boy, were we all in for a treat with UFC 281 that went down over the weekend in Madison Square Garden in New York City. There was an instant classic fight between Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler, both of whom I've had the honor of interviewing right here on First Class Fatherhood. Also, New Zealand fighter Dan Hooker, he won his match in an impressive style. I had him on the podcast as well as UFC president Dana White. And as a matter of fact, Dana White invited my wife and I to join him in Madison Square Garden to watch UFC 244 a couple of years ago. He couldn't have been nicer to my wife and I. So if you enjoyed the fights over the weekend and you're a UFC fan, I encourage you to go listen to those UFC dad fights. So many of the dads at the UFC have joined me here on the podcast, so go check them out. And we keep getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving, which means Black Friday is coming, but Black Friday has already begun over on MyPillow.com. Mike Lindell is overstocked and overwhelmed over there at MyPillow.com. So he is passing all the savings on to you guys. It's a big blowout sale. So many of the products have their lowest price ever and you're going to get the best price available if you use the code fatherhood at the checkout go to mypillow.com use the promo code fatherhood you're going to save up to 66 percent on your order as i said so many of the products are the lowest prices they've ever been go check them all out the link is in the description of this podcast episode tap the link it'll bring you right to the page where the savings all exist again mypillow.com use the promo code fatherhood and get started on your christmas shopping be sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the upcoming guest announcements. And if you could, please help me spread the word about the podcast to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with the Miller fam dad, Stephen Miller on First Class Fatherhood. <laughs> Joining me now, First Class Father, Stephen Miller. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. 
Hey man, great to have, uh, great to be on here. <laughs> <laughs> You're so used to hosting on that side, huh? I am. I'm like, great to have you. It's like not even my my podcast, but I'm I'm great. I'm I'm glad to be here. So, well, let's start like this. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? Yeah, so I've got seven kids. Uh, we've got 19, 17, 16, 16, 14, 9, and 7. So there's never a dull moment in our house, and I'm perpetually broke, <laughs> essentially is what that means. <laughs> yeah, wow. You guys all done? You're looking for an ace? You never know. You know, I think uh, we're always op- open to the op- uh, opportunity or the option. We've adopted four. So we have two from China, two from Ethiopia. So whether we have another biologically or adopt again, um, we kind of have this saying in our house where grace guides will go, which is sort of another way of saying our yes is on the table. Like if the opportunity presents itself and uh, there's a child in need of a forever home, then we'd say yes. And uh, if we somehow find ourselves pregnant, then you know, that's a, that's a whole nother deal as well. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And obviously, I mean, we're both connected here by way of the Family Made Media Network. Uh, so it's awesome to get a chance to actually, you know, have you on the podcast here, get a chance to formally meet you. And if you could just please take a second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yes. So um, I've been a musician for like 20 years and then about, well, now four years ago, uh, our family started documenting our life on YouTube um, and sort of just you know, for for whatever reason, people resonated with our story and our journey and started following. And so that's kind of what we've been doing full time for the last maybe three or so years um, on the Miller fam on YouTube uh, is just telling our family's story. So it's a beautiful, diverse, gigantic, obviously, family. And um, uh, essentially, you know, in 2018, uh, we found out that our son had a rare uh, brain disease called Moya Moya and was going to need pretty significant bilateral brain surgery where they cut open his brain and rerouted some um, some of his arteries and things like that so that he could have blood flow. Uh, he, he was being starved of oxygen, so it kept having some strokes and uh, as, as a result has a, a rare form of cerebral palsy called left side hemiplegia. Uh, and so he's kind of been on that journey. And then obviously we've got, you know, six other kids as well uh, who all have their own unique journeys as well and then my wife and i'll be married uh, 20 years this year so that's kind of fun as well <laughs> wow incredible stuff man yeah and i know that uh, i i had a while back i had uh, trent johnston from the seven little johnstons on the show and his wife needed to have brain surgery when she was a kid and the one that did it was wow. dr ben carson and i also had him on the podcast wow. here so it was kind of like a full circle thing there uh, but amazing what's, you know, what we're so blessed to have people that are able to do these types of things. So I'm sure nerve wracking for the family all the way around. Take me back 19 years, if you could, then uh, how old were you when you first became a father and how did that experience change your perspective on life? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, my wife and I were high school sweethearts, so I met her in the cafeteria. She was a sophomore. I was a senior uh, and prom was our first date. So um, uh, frankly, we got uh, pregnant before we were married and kind of were forced to to this decision that really shaped who we are and shaped our lives moving forward. Um, and we had our daughter Reese, uh, my wife was 18 years old whenever we had her. So, uh, just kind of babies raising babies. Um, and then, you know, life just, what's crazy is, you know, we had our second daughter and I'm like, man, I'm kind of good with like one. And my wife's like, 
well, you better get used to it. You got a second one on the way. <laughs> and so then it kind of became like, uh, you know, one for me, one for you. And thank the Lord we're finally through uh, until we were sort of presented with the opportunity to adopt our two sons from Ethiopia. And it was just couldn't escape it. We knew it was our calling. We knew it was what we we're supposed to do. Uh, this five year old and three year old in Ethiopia who needed a home, needed a family. And uh, and so I think part of like growing up pretty quickly uh, as a young man, um, it, it kind of moved me into this space of um, saying yes and, and hopefully maturing um, into a man uh, who could take on responsibility like that a little earlier than maybe I would have otherwise. Uh, and just to see my wife and kind of the way that she responded to it all as well uh, is a pretty unique deal. But what I think we found was that, you know, having a child young doesn't mean that life is over as we know it, you know? It just kind of meant that we got to learn to do things uh, in a unique way that maybe a lot of people don't uh, get a chance to do. You know, you kind of think, well, I want to travel the world and I want to make my money and I want to build my company and I want to do it and then I'll have kids, you know? But for us, we're like, hey, man, we're just going to do this all together and it's going to be a lot of fun. And so our kids even now, 19 years in, have such a sense of adventure, and such a sense of awe about the world because they got to kind of do it all with us as we were building our own lives. We were just doing it with them. Yeah, very well said. And I'm a big advocate for that, for ha having kids, starting a family young. I think we, we have we have gotten our uh, what we value so kind of skewed, whereas years ago, so many families had, you know, a lot of kids and a smaller place to live. And today people have bigger places yeah. to live in smaller families somewhere along that timeline. Uh, we've gotten this uh, materialistic idea that if we get the job and get the status, that's going to bring us to happiness only to find that you know, now <laughs> yeah. we got to start doing the things that make us happy. So uh, I, I love yeah. the fact that you started young and, and I've had quite a few dads on the show here who have gone through the adoption process. And a lot of them, uh, China, Haiti, uh, like you said, I, think, I believe Ethiopia. Uh, what is the adoption process like when you have to go through that? And is it, is it more difficult to adopt kids from the U.S.? It always seems like most of the people that I have, they don't adopt from the U.S. It's usually from another country. Sure, sure, sure. So with the U.S., um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different process here. We have a pretty um, substantial foster care system here. Um, so you, in, in the United States, you're either going like private domestic adoption uh, which would be like in our case, if if you know when we were seventeen and nineteen, finding out we were pregnant, you know, uh, maybe we chose not to uh, raise our own child, and so we know that you know he, here's where we are. I, I was making you know eleven hundred dollars a month when we got married, so I'm like, uh, you know, and so we put our child up for adoption here domestically. Well, in that case, um, there's a really long waiting list here domestically um, for 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 children to be adopted um, a lot of uh, infertility a lot of um, just not being able to have um, children biologically for for many people and so that's the direction that they choose to go um, you can do private adoption where it's like you know we're in, we're in our situation and like for example you know someone comes to us and 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 says hey we'll adopt your child uh, and so we just choose that parent and kind of can short circuit some of that process. But in general, it's a pretty long process uh, to adopt a lot of waiting to be chosen by a birth parent um, for that. Or you're adopting from the foster care system. The issue with that a lot of times here domestically is that um, you may be a foster care parent parent. 
and you're watching this child for a year, year and a half, two years sometimes. But the goal of foster care is reunification with the biological family. And so then those children are, are removed from your home, whereas you're thinking, man, I'm going to be able to adopt this child. And, and so a lot of parents don't go that route just because of the uncertainty of it, the heartache of loving on a child that you're not going to get to have be yours uh, for the long. And so there's a lot of things for us. Um, it wasn't really a matter of that. It was that we knew that the United States has a lot of that kind of covered, and there are vast areas of the world that don't. You know, there are 165 million orphans in the world, uh, and a lot of nations that just don't have. So when we were thinking about adopting, uh, everyone kept pointing us to Ethiopia. They were like, "Man, it's a it's a it's a country about the size of Texas, and there are over five million orphans in Ethiopia, and they need homes, they need families." And so we chose to adopt children who would probably not otherwise be adopted. So a sibling group, an older uh, set of kids, kids with special needs. And that was certainly the case with our adoption from China as well. We adopted a 12-year-old little girl uh, who was about to age out of the system, and we adopted a two-year-old boy who uh, had significant brain trauma and and uh, and cerebral palsy. And so, you know, I, I think I say that to say there are a lot of options for adoption and you just kind of got to think about and pray about uh, what is the right one for your family? What can you handle? Um, you don't have to be a hero. You don't have to be a martyr. Uh, you just can be a parent to somebody who needs a parent um, and then and then just go for it and go all in. Man, I, I, it's amazing because so many people, you know, talk the talk and very few actually walk the walk. But to be able to open your heart up, your family up to do something like this, uh, I don't know if there's any uh, bigger form of love possible. I know you talk about praying about it. Uh, how important is your faith and how important is faith in raising your children? And what would you consider to be the top values you hope to instill in all of them growing up? Well, I mean, I think my faith is extremely important for me. To me, the call to love uh, the fatherless, I mean, that's what the Bible defines as pure religion, like true religion is to care about the orphan. Uh, and so that was a huge factor for us um, in choosing to adopt. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are huge sections of the Bible where, you know, God's kind of talking to his people and he's like, hey, I know you're like singing me some songs and I know you're like, you know the Bible really well, but what about the orphans? You know, what about the fatherless? What about justice? What about mercy? What about compassion? Um, and so that was a big part for us. In raising our kids, um, I think there's a two two parts to that. Yes, um, our faith is extremely important to us. We're going to raise our children with our faith, um, but it, it's got to be theirs. Like it's got to be their choice. So we're not going to like shove it down their throat or force them to believe something or whatever. Because I mean, as soon as we do that, someone else comes along and can change their mind on that. So it's got to be their decision. Um, at the same time. Do I think that God has a way that he's designed things to really work out for the best for the world and for us as individuals? Yes. I mean, I don't think that Christianity is a set of rules and regulations at all. I think it's an invitation to be in relationship with God. At the same time, I do think that God designed things to work a certain way. Like if you jump off this building, you're going to hit the ground and it's going to hurt really bad. You know, if you go lie to somebody, you're probably not going to have friends. If you go steal from somebody, you're probably going to end up in jail. If you go, you know, all these things that we kind of think of whenever we think of uh, religion, I don't think it's a rules or regulations thing. I think it's like a, here's a construct and a design 
for how your life can just be like better in a lot of ways, you know, be trustworthy, have compassion, walk with dignity, have character, have integrity. Um, that's a recipe for a better life. It, it, and maybe not like always circumstantially, you know, uh, like I may live the right way and then end up, you know, suffering for a variety of reasons. But then comes in the other piece of that where it's like when you suffer, the promise of like following God uh, specifically through Jesus is that like he'll be with you in the middle of that. And so it's a, it's it's a an invitation to peace and it's an invitation to lasting joy. And so I want to raise my kids in that way. And ultimately, it'll be their decision um, what they choose to believe, if they choose to believe. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's very important to us. Yeah, and you mentioned there too. I mean, I know in the Bible it says, you know, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I think you're, yeah. you know, walking testament to that. So really, props to you. And one thing, I mean, you mentioned there the being a, a father to the fatherless. I, I harp on it on this show uh, about the fatherless crisis with so many kids growing up without a dad. And, I, and we try mm-hmm. to focus on all these other social issues in our country, but unless we get our families straightened out and dads back in the home, I don't think any any yeah. amount of money you throw at it, any kind of politics that are involved with it, I don't think anything is fixing anything unless we get yeah. dads back and strengthen our nuclear family units. What's your take? I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I think you just look at the stat, uh, the stats, the statistics on that is, you know, uh, fatherless communities are more likely to have high crime, more likely to have high poverty rates, more likely to have uh, more sickness, um, uh, undefended homes. I mean, uh, people need fathers in their lives, even if it's not a biological father, even if it's just a father figure, you know, I mean, just to have that connection of what it looks like to walk uh, as a man in this world, to take responsibility for your actions, to hold yourself to a higher standard, um, to, you know, show up and be consistent and work hard. And those aren't necessarily all masculine qualities per se. Like that's, that's not strictly, um, just something that fathers can do. Obviously a lot of guys have been raised by moms. My dad left when I was a freshman in high school. My mom raised me for the last few years of my, uh, high school life. I would say that that really impacted me a lot. Now I have a great relationship with my dad now, but we struggled a lot and I certainly had struggles in my life. Uh, as it as it related to that relational strife that I had uh, and sort of that father wound, as it were, uh, with my dad. Um, and just to but, jump in on that, did, was there a father figure you found during high school that kind of took on that absolutely. role, or was it not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for for me, a lot of that was uh, the the men in my church. Um, they stood up and, you know, we had deacons, uh, who, you know, we were very poor. My mom was a, a teacher, uh, on a single parent salary. Um, my dad, you know, paid child support when he could, but we really struggled, uh, to get groceries, to pay the bills, things like that. Um, some of the men in our church would show up and we would come home to, uh, our front porch just had groceries, just a whole bunch of groceries on, on the porch. Um, my youth pastor would pick me up. He would make sure that um, I had I had the ability to, you know, go where I needed to go, be where I needed to be. If I had to go to an appointment, my mom couldn't drive me. He would drive me. Um, and so I had these guys in my life who who stepped in. And even as an adult, I've had those guys that I have chosen to allow uh, to know me. And to call me on my BS, and to help me see my blind spots, and to help me grow as a man who are who are who are more advanced, who are sort of in that next season of life, 
Um, I've got a guy who's 85 years old and anytime that he sees me kind of off track, I've given him permission to call me and say, Hey buddy, you're being a knucklehead. Like give it a, you know, give it a rest or whatever, you know? And then I've got guys who are maybe 10, 15 years ahead of me who can do the same thing. And so it's just that, that, uh, position of like influence from people who have walked the road before you, who can, who can give you guidance and wisdom that, you know, frankly, we all have blind spots, you know, and we need somebody who we can say, Hey, you have full permission to speak into my life whenever you see that I need it, you know? Yeah. And, and there's so it's so important that a community recognizes the fact that, Hey, here's a kid that doesn't have a father here. We can step in and make a difference because you found it, uh, you know, through the church, through pastors or through the community there, the other people that I've had on here found it in the military. Some found it through coaching in sports and football, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. It's the ones that are finding it in the street is why we're filling up the prisons with fatherless kids in this country. And it's just, I, I think if we recognize that as the issue that it is, man, what, what an in, uh, impact we can have on the future of this country. So, uh, I, I love yeah, what, your testimony there and and one of the uh, one of the big parts parts of that is the discipline portion that a father brings into the family mm-hmm. into that role so what type of disciplinarian are you as a dad and is that different than the discipline style you grew up with uh yeah i mean i think that i uh <laughs> i still uh, i was talking with my kids about it they're all you know i've got five teenagers and one's moved out and it's just it's a totally different season of life but they kind of talk about my my method of discipline now versus whenever they were younger, and uh, obviously that changes a lot as they get older. You know, you kind of uh, you shift with their maturity. Um, but you know, I, I I was telling them how my dad used to spank me, and my mom used to spank me, and uh, and there was a time when my mom tried to spank me, and I just laughed in her face because I thought like I'm so used to getting spanked by my dad that I'm you know that I'm going to like, this is going to hurt so bad, you know? And so I'm just like bracing for it. And she spanks me and I'm like, I'm like, like, Oh wow, that's it. And then I realize, Oh no. And she just goes, Lee <laughs> to my dad and my dad comes on. And, and so there's something to that. I think, you know, the kids there, there's a, a certain amount of respect that comes into play, um, with, with a dad who, who can kind of take, take that role. Um, we, we look at that very differently with each of our kids, specifically whenever you're parenting kids from hard places, you just really can't discipline in the same way sometimes as you would maybe your own biological children. Uh, and, and especially if you're doing foster care, if you're doing some things like that, there, there's, there are like by law ways that you can discipline and, and ways that you can't. Um, so generally I try to appeal to their logic, uh, and their desire for a better life. Um, and so, you know, I'll talk their head off before anything else sometimes, <laughs> but it tends to work. They've got a pretty good head on their shoulders. Uh, and, and it's, and it's pretty awesome to see just how mature they, they are in, 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 in all their different ways. I'll tell you, I would say like probably 90% of the dads that I ask that question to always say, yeah, oh yeah, it's def- definitely different than how I grew up. I grew up getting spanked or getting the belt, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, or getting the switch or whatever it may be. And they're like, they don't dare do that to their kids. And something shifted yeah. there as well. And, and it's obviously a big difference between spanking a child and beating a child. But it seems like somewhere sure. along the line, parents became almost afraid in a sense to, to discipline their kids the way that they grew up. And most of these guys that I talked to that have been d- disciplined that way all grew into these huge, massive successes in life. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like it really hindered them. A lot of times they, they're grateful for the discipline that they did receive in their life. So I don't know if the, we're doing it any better than we did it before. I know we're doing it differently. That's yeah. for sure. 
Yeah, it is interesting. You know, my dad would always if I was at my grandma's and he didn't have his belt with him, he'd be like, go out and pick a switch, you know, (laughs) and you can't pick a switch. You know, you think, oh, you know, I'm going to get like a small little stick because like that'll help me out, you know, because if I get a bigger one, it's going to feel like a club, you know, and the switch is like more like a whip, you know, so there's no win in that thing, you know, but uh, it it, I, you know, I, I would say. Uh, yeah, I think we've shifted some things. Some of that is, I think, socially what success. I mean, I told my kids the other day that, uh, you know, I got spanked at school. You know, my teachers could spank me at school and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, it was just normal back then. You know, the parents kind of gave permission, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, you'd have the ruler thing and the, you know, there was a, it was, it was like a cutting board that looked like, reminded me of the paddle that I got spanked by my principal with once when I was a kid, you know, (laughs) and that was just, that was just life. I mean, it was just normal. So, and they're just like, that's so weird. That's so foreign. I don't get that, but you know, yeah. Well, listen, my my father had me when he was 50 years old. So he was born back in 1930. So the stories he tells about, you know, growing up there, it sounds like a prison camp, like, you know what I mean? It's drastically different. So, uh, and then getting into what you do real quick here, I know the YouTube uh, it has created so many opportunities for so many people to get on there and it's become their livelihood and what they depend on. What was really the genesis of you guys deciding, hey, this is right for us. We're going to do this. And how did the kids all kind of feel uh, and, and still to this day feel about being yeah. in the videos and getting their life exposed on YouTube and the whole bit? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we talked to them uh, when we got going on it. Some of it is that we always sort of had done social media with our family. My wife has always documented, uh, our life, our kids, uh, you know, whenever we get all together and have some time at the holidays or whatever, we have whole VHS tapes of their being little kids that we just watch home videos. And so if you watch our, our YouTube, it's, it's kind of like home videos. It's not really like a, the normal YouTube thing. We don't do drama. We don't do clickbait. We don't exploit our kids. We don't do any of that stuff. We're just kind of chronicling our life. Um, that said, like we, we've been very intentional about making sure that we honor our kids in that process. Like we never want them to come back later on in life and say, gee, thanks dad for showing that thing that, you know, is embarrassing now. So we're really careful about that. And, um, they have permission at any time that they don't want to be in a video to not be in the video. Um, they've always had that. We said that from day one, Hey, if you don't feel like filming today, you don't have to. Uh, and some of them have taken us up on that a few times. Um, there were a few months that one of our kids just didn't want to be filmed at all. And so she wasn't in our videos for a few months, which is totally great. I mean, we, we totally want to respect that and honor that, uh, for her and for all of our kids. So I think that's a big piece of it. I mean, I, we don't always get everything right. I just, I just released a book called the art of getting it wrong, like just a couple months ago. And it, it kind of, you know, I, I can just be an idiot sometimes. Uh, but I want my kids to see like when you do get it wrong, you have an opportunity to learn from that. You're not your mistakes. Your failures don't define you, but they can refine you. And failure is not the end. It's, it's not final. And so um, with that, there has to come like a humility uh, with recognizing when you've done things wrong. And there have certainly been a couple of times that we've not gotten it right. And uh, either our, our kids have called us out on it or other people have called us out on it. And we get a chance to step back apologize, reevaluate, learn, get it right, grow, take responsibility. Nobody really respects whenever you just act like you didn't do anything wrong and try to move on, you know, um, and, and we want to model that for our kids. So it's kind of fun that we get to 
sort of work with our kids uh, a good bit and work with each other as a husband and wife. Um, and, you know, that kind of environment's a good environment for, for, for learning and growing in, in humility. It, it definitely takes, uh, uh, I guess, a sense of maturity to get to that level of understanding that, uh, you know, wrong implies right and right implies wrong and, and failure is going to come just like the sun will go down. The sun will come up thinking that yeah. you're never going to fail is like hoping the sun doesn't go down tonight. You know, it's like you right. start to learn to accept that it's a part of the process. So everyone, I guess, hits it at a different spot in their life. So yeah. but real cool the way that you document the whole family. I think you know, it'll be great to look back on years from now, especially. And I know my oldest uh, is 16 and, and my other guy is 15. And when we watch videos from them, it's like a whole day worth of like recording on a, on a tape. Yeah. My little kids, uh, my, my eight year old, my le- it's like, you know, 30, <laughs> 30 second clips. And I'm like, where's the rest of the video? Like, so true. Uh, so true. Ran out of gigabytes, you know? <laughs> well, you're doing everything on your phone now, you yep. know, back in the day, it was pre iPhone, you know, you, so you've got like that camcorder, like the full on, like thing, a four hour and, tape in there like yeah and it's just like this is there there's nothing happening right now <laughs> <You know? laughs> but but it's great you know so oh definitely well what's next to you obviously you got the podcast going you got the youtube channel going you had the book come out a couple months ago what are you working on now what kind of projects you got coming what's next for you in the future here Man, I just released a new song uh, called First Love uh, two weeks ago, and I've got my second single coming out soon uh, from that little EP. It's called Where Grace Guides Will Go, and I'm really excited about that. But otherwise, just really kind of push that message of the book, The Art of Getting It Wrong. Um, I just want to be an encouragement to young people, especially young people, but also people like my colleagues who are sort of at this season of their life where they're kind of looking around going like, is this it? Like, did I get it wrong? Like, what's going on with this? Um, And... uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully I can be an encouragement to them and, uh, and, you know, just keep beating that drum, you know? Yeah. Very cool. You're not your failures. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put the link to the book, the podcast, the YouTube channel, all in the description of this podcast episode. So my listeners can get over there and check it out. Last thing I want to hit you with here. I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? I would just say, um, you know, you always hear that the days go way too fast. As a guy who just was watching home videos of my kid um, when when she was a baby and then moved out because she was 18 and wanted to move out, it went way, way, way faster than I could have ever imagined. Uh, And you don't necessarily always feel that in the moment, but the idea is, you know, there's always going to be time to build your company. There's always going to be time to make more money. There's always going to be time to do more stuff. But you know what? There's a finite amount of time uh, to be with your family. Be present, man. Put the phone down uh, and just be present. Whenever they're talking to you, look them in the eye. Whenever they're talking to you, you know, listen. Uh, because the day's going to come when they don't want to talk to you anymore, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> just, just be present. You know, that, that would be the biggest piece of advice. If I could go back in time, people told me I didn't listen, you know, I was so driven and so passionate and wanted to do my thing, man. I wish I had listened. Uh, just be present, you know, tomorrow's going to, tomorrow's going to have enough to worry about on its own. Just be present. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been a lot of fun for me. God bless the Miller fam. I love what you're doing over there. You're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. See you next time. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood is a family-made media podcast. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com. 
or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood Advice and Wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.